Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Ethan Millard. I'm filling in today for Boyd Matheson. Thanks so much for tuning into KSL this afternoon. And boy, I am loving it. I enjoy doing these shows so much. You know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, and this is true. I'm not just saying it because you're listening. I'm trying to impress you. I miss radio every single day. I do. And so when I can come on and, you know, do a couple hours uh, so Boyd can have a, an afternoon off, I'm all about it and I love doing it. So I'm so pleased to be here today. And, and, and I especially love Boyd's style, the, the style of Inside Sources, which, as you know, kind of really gets so deep with a lot of these topics. So that's really fun as well. Okay. Uh, we just saw another Climate Summit wrap up, another Global Climate Summit. And uh, a lot of people are disappointed. You know, this activists around the world are disappointed that more wasn't done to push countries to curb greenhouse gases and other pollutants. And I know we're all thinking of China and India. But here in the United States, you know, I think it's an open question whether we actually need an international agreement in order to cut carbon, because it seems like we've been doing a pretty steady job of it ourselves. I'm not saying we're perfect, but we certainly are well ahead of many other developed countries. And in many cases, we're beating our own goals. So is this something that regular companies, regular people can handle themselves? Do we really need these kind of larger treaties and agreements? We've got Josiah Neely joining us now. Josiah Neely is the resident senior fellow at the R Street Institute in Washington, D.C., where he studies energy and energy policy. Josiah, thanks so much for joining us today. And my understanding is this is your thesis, that we don't need these government agreements that climate solutions, specifically emissions, air pollution, things like that, are something that we're solving on our own. Yeah, well, I would go a little bit further than that even. I I think that, uh, unfortunately, the track record of these sorts of international agreements, which have gone back 25 years uh, more for the – some of your listeners may recall the Kyoto Protocol – and uh, there have been various, you know, attempts at an international agreement uh, since then to try and limit emissions. And those have, have mostly disappointed people. Uh, most of the countries, you know, politicians like to, to go out and give a speech and say they're going to reduce emissions by whatever. But then most of the time they go back home and they don't do it. Right. Um, the United States, 
the interesting thing about the U.S. is we have mostly stayed out of that. We did not join Kyoto. Uh, President Trump pulled us out of the Paris Accords. Uh, you know, th- there have been a number of attempts to do big, bold climate plans uh, in the Congress uh, and uh, through executive action. Those have not actually been implemented. But despite that, U.S. emissions, we're actually a leader in emissions reductions ar- around the world. Uh, you know, our, our, our greenhouse gas emissions have fallen by uh, in 2020. They had fallen 24 percent. So what uh, do you to what do you attribute this? To what do you attribute yes, this reduction? Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, it's mostly market-driven change. So what we have seen, particularly in the electricity sector, is that uh, lower emissions energy sources are cheaper. And so you saw first a big shift. Uh, we had low-priced natural gas that displaced a lot of coal. Now you've seen big falls in the price of wind and solar technologies and so they are cleaning up our grid and you know the good thing about market driven change is it doesn't actually cost you money it saves you money when you do it that way which is probably why it tends to happen more than the kind of eat your spinach approach that i i think is kind of uh behind a lot of the thinking of you know what they need to do with some of those international agreements yeah well i read your essay that's on the r street website the titled the market does what the market does what a climate summit can but i feel like you i feel like there's one element here missing because i i hear what you're saying about the market driven change and we all know how powerful that organic change can be but i feel like there's one thing missing and that's california because a lot of this market driven change we wouldn't see if california the economically the most important state in the country hadn't stepped forward and said we're changing the rules, and we're not going yeah. to allow this, that, and the other now. Mm-hmm. So you definitely, I would, I, I would take your point that it's just because uh, there hasn't been a, a federal big climate plan. That does not mean that government has done nothing, particularly at the state level. You do have some mm-hmm. states like California, uh, but increasingly, a, a lot of that. I think if you look at the emissions, a lot of that is really more you have to attribute it to the market rather than to government. You know, where I am in Texas, we did not do a really big uh, push for renewable energy, uh, a government-led push for renewable energy, but we actually have more wind resources even even than California. And if you look at just what's projected now, uh, most of the increase that's projected in renewable energy over the coming decade is not going to be due to any sort of government mandate or subsidy or anything like that, it's it's projected to, to increase just because the prices are low enough. People want to use that right. cheaper energy. But the subsidies, the subsidies for now though, are a big part of what's kind of propping up these subsidies alternative have, energy markets. Yeah, subsidies, yeah, subsidies have played a role. I think there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. I think if you look at the last twenty years, about half of half of the increase in renewable energy is due to the subsidies. So half, half would happen half would happen anyway, but definitely uh, there is a role there, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I get, yeah, I don't know how much would have happened had we not had the subsidies, but I know here in Utah, they've been critical. I mean, there wouldn't be a market for this here. In fact, in fact, if you look at state leadership, we have very conservative state leadership here. 
they've been trying to prop up the coal industry. All, all of those efforts have been a new coal port in San Francisco, propping up the coal yeah. industry, expanding extraction, and they're continually failing, but that's where all of their efforts are. We wouldn't really have a renewable market if there weren't outside forces coming in and saying, hey, guys, there's really a better way to do this. Yeah, and I think so. This is actually an interesting. This is an interesting thing. Is that uh, as you know, electricity markets uh, in some parts of the country they're more open to competition. In other places, it's very top down. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen overall is actually the places that are open to competition have been uh, quicker to move towards more clean energy in their generation mix. And I think the reason for that is that. Uh, System, as you say, there is more of an incentive to try and protect the older stuff that you already have, yeah. which tends to be dirtier stuff, right? It tends to be yeah. your coal or other stuff. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's not an absolute, but I do think that is a, that is a factor there. Well, uh, really interesting stuff. Josiah Neely, uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Josiah is the resident senior fellow at the R Street Institute in Washington, D.C. Uh, great article he's got up there that kind of outlines this whole, the, the outlining the market forces that are in play in improving our, our environment. And, uh, Josiah, this is very, very good information. I appreciate it. I, I just, I can't, you know, in my own mind, I just, I cannot shake. It's because I'm a lifelong resident here. I can't shake California, and I know that we make so much fun of California for you know being a bunch of leftists with all the rules, but it has pushed businesses to be cleaner. It's pushed us to be cleaner, and and I and I still think that is a critical factor that gets overlooked. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, oh man, let me look and see what we got back. Oh, um, so Roe versus Wade is it going away? If it does, is that going to change our social safety nets? We're going to talk about that, uh, where we're going to have to start putting money now in our safety nets here in the United States, how that's going to change. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.